On December 24, 1971, a teenager named Juliana Diller was on an airplane with her mother and 84 other passengers flying over the Amazon when they were engulfed by an unexpected storm. Lightning struck the right wing of the plane and the plane went into a sudden nosedive. Juliana overheard her mother quietly saying, now it's over. People began to scream and then the screaming gave way to sheer silence. The plane had broken apart and Juliana still belted in her seat was free falling through space two miles up in the sky. Can't you imagine? The next morning, she awakened on the jungle floor. Injured, but not severely, she got up and was able to walk away. She fell two miles out of the sky and lived to tell about it. Imagine what it would feel like to be two miles up, free falling through space. The world is a dangerous place. In your own life, when have you faced great danger? Somebody tell me, how would you finish this sentence? In my own life, I've been most scared when, what happened? How would you? Kids around the pool and no adults. <laughs> when your child, when your daughter's in danger. Say that again. You hit a telephone pole, an accident, yeah. Your car fell 25 feet and you were in it. Highway 4 in California, wow car accidents. I once flipped my car four times <laughs> and walked away from it. Amazing, but scared. We live in a dangerous world. You never know what's around the next corner. Can you imagine being this guy? You're in a little pup tent and suddenly you are face to face with a lion. In a world that is full of of danger. How should we as people of faith respond? How do you respond? Today we come to the fifth installment in our sermon series in the book of Daniel. Let's begin with a prayer. Spirit of the living God, Fall fresh on us. If you know it, pray it with me. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us. Melt us, mold us. Fill us, use us, Spirit of the 
on us. Jesus, that is our prayer today. May it be so. In the moments that follow, may we encounter you in the words of Scripture. We ask in your holy name. Amen. Ancient tyrants often believed that they were divine, that they were sons of the gods. King Darius was no different. After Nebuchadnezzar and his son died, Darius ascended to the throne. One day a group of government officials recommended to King Darius that he issue a decree mandating that for a period of 30 days no one could pray to anyone other than Darius and anyone who did pray to someone other than Darius should be thrown into a den of ravenous lions. When Darius heard the idea, he kind of liked it. It appealed to his ego, and so he signed the, the decree. Meanwhile, Daniel was still a senior government official. When Daniel heard about the decree, he knew he was in trouble. As we've seen in prior chapters, Daniel was a devout follower of the Most High God, the God of Israel. And so upon learning of the decree, Daniel knew that he was in a position of high danger. What would he do if you were in his situation? What do you think you would have done? Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Although Daniel knew that the decree had been signed by the king, he continued to go to his house, which had windows in its upper room, open toward Jerusalem, and to get down on his knees three times a day to pray to his God and praise his God just as he has done previously. It takes a lot of chutzpah to do that. Daniel was risking everything to continue his prayer life, and he didn't even have to. The decree that the king had issued had a loophole in it that was big enough to drive a truck through. He needed a better set of lawyers because the decree said that anyone who prayed had to pray to the king, but it did not say that you had to pray. So Daniel could have simply ceased praying for 30 days. Instead, he stubbornly refused. It kind of reminds me of that. Some of you are old enough to remember this that infamous 1965 advertising campaign from Territon Cigarettes, where in their advertising, this was back when it was still legal to advertise cigarettes, and in their ads, they would show different pictures of different people with big black eyes, happily smoking a Territon, and the slogan, the phrase of the advertising campaign was, I'd rather fight than switch. Apparently, Daniel would rather fight than switch. He stubbornly refused to change his pattern of prayer. He insisted on going for. He risked everything to continue his pattern of prayer. Clearly, prayer was the highest priority in Daniel's life, which raises the first key question in today's Bible story. How high of a priority is prayer? in your life. 
which in turn raises another question. Why should prayer be such a high priority in our life? Why was prayer so important to Daniel? Answer, because prayer has the potential to change everything. For starters, prayer is how we decompress. Life is full of stress. Everywhere you look around us, there are demands pressing in against us. Every day of life, stressful. Picture it. A couple years ago, on a Monday, Mondays are my day off, so normally Monday is a, a great day for me, but this Monday morning, a couple years ago, when I awakened, I found myself thinking this is going to be a really annoying day. Because you see, the night before visiting my dad, who lives 40 miles north of here, I had left my phone at his house. Do you know what it's like to go a whole day without your phone? Talk about stressful. And, and this was at a time when we were doing a renovation project here at the church. And the day before, the architect and the general contractor had gotten into a conflict, into a dispute. And the architect was supposed to be calling me on Monday to, to tell me what, what he thought the way forward was. So that meant now that the architect was, was calling me and my phone was ringing into dead space up at my dad's house. And I suppose I could have borrowed somebody else's phone to call the architect, except I hadn't memorized the architect's phone number. It was on my phone, which was at my dad's house. So I was anxious. I was frustrated. Frustrated. I didn't have my phone. Plus, later that afternoon, mid-afternoon, I was supposed to meet my dad at St. Vincent's for a meeting, uh, an appointment with his heart specialist. And that meant I had to scrunch in to a few hours that morning all of the errands that I would normally run on my day off. So I was busy getting all my errands, getting all my chores done when I hear glass shattering downstairs. I ran down the stairs to find that several pieces of David's favorite Christmas crash had been knocked off the shelf and shattered on the floor. One of our cats, Gigi, was looking up at me with big eyes as if to say, I didn't do it. I don't know what happened here as she began to bat a shard of glass and play with it. I cleaned up the mess. I rushed to the grocery. And everybody at Walmart was in slow motion. I came to an aisle where a guy had parked his cart crossways in the middle of the aisle and was standing next to it and studying all the labels completely oblivious to the fact that there might be someone else in the store who might want to walk down that aisle. I'm not asking for much, just a little situational awareness, right? And as I continue my shopping, it seems like every other item that I needed was not on the shelf. When I got to the back, the dairy section, there wasn't even any skim milk. How does Walmart run completely out of skim milk? When I got home with my groceries, I realized I hadn't left enough time to get to Dad's appointment, and so I had to drive like a bat out of hell so that by the time I got to the appointment, this is what I felt like. <laughs> Do you ever feel like your head just wants to explode? Life is full of stress. Prayer is where we go to decompress. Just breathe. Sing a song to God. Sit in silence. Peace, be still.
people who don't pray, I don't know how they cope with their stress. There's something about coming into the presence of God. We pray because prayer is how we decompress. And we pray because prayer is how we gain insight, divine insight. There are so many imponderable questions in life, and the decisions that we make will have ripple effects throughout the rest of our life and into the lives of the people around us. On another Monday, another day off, a, a month ago, I was out in the woods with our two dogs. They were running, and I was walking and praying and talking aloud to God. I love to get out in nature and just pray and talk to God. And uh, the month before, in January of this year, I know this will come as a surprise to you, but in January of this year, I turned 65. Now, I know what you're thinking. Jeff, you don't look a day over 40, right? That's what you were thinking? But I turned 65 in January. It's hard to believe. And 65 is one of those milestones, you know, where people start thinking about retiring and things like that. And, and I don't feel ready to retire. And, and so I was walking and talking to God about that and thinking, God, am I, am I being selfish? Maybe it's time I let someone else lead Life Journey Church. And, you know, I, I, I want to be mindful and prayerful and do this in your way. God, what? What should I or shouldn't I do? And as I was walking and talking aloud to God, for the next 15 minutes or so, I was, I was talking through in the presence of God's Spirit the various scenarios and the pros and the cons. And, and as I did so, there was this sense of clarity and peace that settled over me. And I sensed God saying to me, Jeff, this is a church that has so much potential. There are so many people who desperately need churches like ours in their life. And, and I sense God. I mean, I, I don't know if you feel that, but I feel that every day. And when I talk to people, newcomers welcome, people who just haven't found that right fit in church. Churches can be so narrow, so dogmatic, so cookie cutter. You got to be like us, look like us, think like this. And they squeeze Jesus out and put dogma in. And, and I, I found myself thinking as I was talking about you know, people desperately need a church. And I sense God say to me, this church has so much potential and so much left to do. And I want you to be a part of that keep on keeping on stay the course and I felt this deep sense of peace that I'm where I'm supposed to be doing what I'm supposed to do not just that but then at the end of that conversation I felt like if somebody said why haven't you retired I could have walked them through it rashly because talking to God about it had brought clarity into my life do you know how good it feels when you're making important decisions to be able to say okay I've cleared this with God. It's great to talk to the people around us, and that helps so much. But there's one thing the people around us can't give us, and that's divine insight. When we talk to God and try to sense the Spirit of God, we're in different territory. Why is prayer so vital in our life? Because prayer is where we decompress. Prayer is where we gain insight, and prayer is where we access divine power. True story. Back in the early 1990s, Dave and Lynn Phillips were sensing in their hearts that God was calling them to something more. They were sensing that God was calling them to somehow work with children in the world who are suffering and to share 
Jesus with those children in the process. And the more they prayed about it, the more they became convinced that they should launch an organization that was devoted to those purposes. But Dave hesitated because he realized if he partnered with his wife in leading this organization that, that he was going to have to do public speaking and he was almost phobic about public speaking. But the more they prayed about it, the more they felt the clarity that this is what they were called to do. So he decided, they decided to take the plunge and they founded an organization called Children's Hunger Fund. They founded it in January of 1992. Six weeks later, Dave says, I get a phone call out of the blue from a, a doctor, a director of a hospital in Honduras who explained to Dave that there were seven children in the pediatric ward of that hospital with cancer who didn't stand a chance unless they could get access to a particular cancer drug. The doctor asked Dave, could his organization do that? Did he know how to obtain that kind of drug? Dave said, I have no idea. I've never done anything like this before. But he wrote down the name of the drug and he said, I'll do my best. The two of them, the doctor and Dave, prayed together there on the phone. God, please open doors. Let these seven children live. Make a way. When they finished praying, Dave hung up, and he says, literally not a second passed before his phone rang again. And at the other end of the line was an officer of a New Jersey pharmaceutical company telling him that his company had 48,000 vials, $8 million worth, of that exact cancer drug that they were wanting to donate, could Dave's organization use and distribute the drug? And oh, by the way, the pharmaceutical company was willing to airlift it anywhere in the world. Within 48 hours, Dave says, we were airlifting vials of that life-saving drug to Honduras and to 20 other strategic locations around the globe. Sisters and brothers, that really happened. It's a reminder of God's power and of the power of prayer as the portal that gives us, that, un, that releases that power in our lives. Now, my point is not that every time we pray, we're going to get a miracle. Sometimes when we pray, God says yes. Other times when we pray, God says, no, I love you too much. Other times when we pray, God says, yes, but you'll have to wait. Or maybe, yes, but in a way different than you expect. And sometimes when we pray, God says, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> so my point is not that, oh, just pray and every time you'll get a miracle. But ask anybody who's lived a life of prayer and they will tell you, that they have had enough experience in their own personal life seeing prayer change things in amazing ways to assure us that prayer has the power to change things. We pray because prayer releases divine power into our life and into the world. And we also pray because we're lonely. Even when we're surrounded by people, even if you're just half self-aware, 
you can look back at moments in your life, those moments of clarity, when you said to yourself something like, it just feels like something's missing. I mean, life here on earth is good, but it just feels like that's not enough. Like there's, it feels like we've been cut off somehow from our source. We've all seen that famous scene in E.T., where the little alien creature is aching for home. And he's been on earth long enough that he's starting to learn some language and he's starting to learn what different things are, are for. And there comes that point, that scene where the little alien says to Elliot and to Gertie, E.T. Fold. And that scene resonates deeply with us because consciously or subconsciously we sense we are that little creature. Aliens, exiles, somehow separated from our source. The Bible says we are strangers and aliens on planet Earth. Earth is wonderful, but there's just something missing. We have this sense that somehow we need to reconnect to our source. There's this big hole in the middle of our life that can only be filled by building a deep personal relationship with God through conversational prayer as we share our life with God, as we talk to God about our joys and our fears, our victories and our failures, as we, as we talk to God about our lessons learned and our hopes and our dreams, as we share life with God. We begin to discover the only relationship that can ultimately and completely satisfy. It's like the old hymn says, And he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. Key line. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. Have you ever experienced that? You can. It's real. It's beautiful. We pray because when we do so, we are cultivating life's most important relationship but here's the thing prayer doesn't just happen it requires intentionality that's the next key point in today's Bible story life circumstances will always be conspiring to keep you from having a meaningful prayer life for Daniel, it was a tyrant named Darius who was trying to disrupt his prayer life. Each, for each one of us, there's also a tyrant in our life. The tyrant's name is not Darius. The tyrant that we're up against is named time. The tyranny of time. A cruel overlord. We've all known it. We've all experienced it. 
There are more things in your life that need to be done than you can possibly ever get done. Every day when we go to bed, at the end of the day, there's still things that we really needed to do that are left undone. And the, the pressure of that, the demands of that can just be impossible. A while back, uh, uh, the Tacoma, Washington newspaper did a story about a little basset hound named Tattoo. The story was about Tattoo's owner who was in a real hurry one morning and kind of distracted, so he, he brings uh, Tattoo out of the house on a leash and opens the back door of the vehicle and shoes Tattoo to get up into the vehicle. Distracted, assuming Tattoo has jumped in the vehicle, he closes the door, but Tattoo is still standing outside, but Tattoo's leash is now stuck in the door of the vehicle, not noticing that the owner goes around, sits in the driver's seat, starts the vehicle, accelerates and takes off. Tattoo outside the vehicle, but tethered to the vehicle, now has to run for his life to keep up with the vehicle. You know, basset hounds have very short legs. Fortunately, there was a police officer that saw what was happening and quickly pulled the vehicle over, but not before it reached speeds of 20 to 25 miles an hour. The officer told the Tacoma, Washington newspaper, he said, yeah, you should have seen a tattoo, was picking them up and putting them down as fast as he could. A couple times he rolled and popped back up again. Now, that owner needs to be a lot more careful, but we all know, in a sense, what it's like to be tattoo. Life has us by the leash, and it's dragging us along, and we're picking them up, and putting them down as fast as we can. We dive, we roll, and we keep running. Time is a tyrant that will be happy to control your life. I mean, look at you. You're here this morning. Aren't there a million other things that you need to do besides being in church? Have you done your taxes yet? Have you gotten your lawnmower ready for the upcoming mowing season? What about all your projects at work? You should probably get a second job. And when are you ever going to deep clean your bathroom? What, what are you doing here this morning? And, and God forbid that you think you've got time to pray. You don't have time for that. And the demands can be constant. It's like that famous refrain in T.S. Eliot's famous poem, Wasteland, where he's talking about the, the dismalness, the desolation that is life on planet Earth. And his recurring refrain in his poem is, hurry up, it's time. Hurry up, it's time. Hurry up, it's time. You don't have time. And at some point, we, like Daniel, have to get to the point where we put our foot down and say, Stop! Time, you are not the boss of me. You will not control me. We, like Jesus on the stormy sea, need to stand up and say, Peace, be still. Jeff, I'm not Jesus, but you have the power of Jesus in you. Through Christ, I can do all things. So, take charge. What does that look like? How do we take back control and develop a meaningful prayer life? Two practical suggestions. First, do what Daniel did in our Bible story. We've already seen that Daniel, three times a day, morning, noon, and evening, would go to his window that faced Jerusalem, kneel down, and pray. Now, the point of that 
is not that we should mindlessly imitate Daniel, find a window in our house that faces Jerusalem, and three times a day kneel down and pray. The point is that Daniel, given the rhythm and pace of his life, had found what worked best for him, scheduled moments in the rhythm of his day where he was stopping and spending quality time with God. Intentional, scheduled prayer. When in the rhythm and flow of your day do you set aside, do you schedule, let's say 15 minutes to have a meaningful conversation with God? As you look at the flow of your day, if you were to schedule 15 minutes where would that be in your day and where would you go? What would be your prayer place? Because when something's really important, so important that it needs to happen in life, what do we do? We schedule it. There are 1,440 minutes in every day. Think about that. 1,440. Do you think you could carve out 15 of those minutes to talk to the power of the universe. When you look at it that way, it lays bare the lie that time tells us. Schedule an intentional time in your typical day. Hold it sacrosanct, except in urgent emergencies. That is your time to religiously go to prayer. Intentional scheduled prayer. Practical suggestion number one. Practical suggestion number two, supplement that with interstitial prayers. Interstitial is an interesting word. It means the spaces between. Interstitial prayer is when we're, you're going through a really hectic day, as is normal, and in the course of the hecticness, as you're running between things, you snatch a few seconds here and there to remember God, to think about God, to say something to God, or to just share a moment with God. God, what just happened? Man, that made me mad. Did that make you mad? Wow, that was really funny. Did you hear that, God? To just share. The, the Bible says we live and move and have our being in God. That means as we're moving through our busy days, God is right there with us. Don't ignore that. Your friend, your companion, your guide, your wisdom is right there with you. Share the day. Snatch those moments. At the end of the day at Disney World, <clears throat> there's always the great fireworks display. A little boy was sitting on his father's shoulders looking up at the sky in utter amazement. After the grand finale was completed, the little boy looked up to the sky one more time, the sky now dark and quiet, and the little boy quietly said, thank you, God. That's interstitial prayer. A little kid once prayed, God, sometimes I think about you when I'm doing nothing. That's interstitial prayer. Now, we need both. 
You can't survive on interstitial prayers alone. And we're missing a lot if we only do intentional scheduled prayer. We need both to have a robust and complete prayer life. How goes your prayer life? Jeff, suppose I don't do it, because it's easy not to do it. <laughs> what happens then? That's the end of our Bible story today. Daniel chapter 6, <clears throat> verse 16. Then the king gave the command, and Daniel was thrown into the den of lions. A stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet. Daniel has now been thrown into a den of intentionally starved lions. But they could not touch him because he was wrapped in the power of his prayers. In his own words, Daniel says, My God sent an angel to shut the lions' mouths so they would not hurt me. And then the king ordered that those who had accused Daniel should themselves be thrown into that same den of lions and were told before they even reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Yikes. What are we supposed to learn from that part of the story? Think about it like this. In the Bible, what do lions symbolize? Sometimes lions symbolize Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah. But that doesn't fit this situation. What else in the Bible do lions symbolize? Satan. First Peter 5, 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil prowls around as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That man in the pup tent that we saw at the start of today's sermon, peering around the corner, looking at that lion. That's you. That's me. That's each one of us. The devil, like a roaring lion, would like nothing better than to rip you to pieces. Jesus himself, on another occasion, in another passage, warned Simon Peter. He said, Simon, Simon, listen to me. Satan has desired to sift all of you like wheat. But I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. Note the key word in Jesus' words there, all. Satan has desired to sift all of you like wheat. This wasn't just a warning to Peter. It was a warning to all of us. Satan would like to sift you like wheat, Daryl. Sally, Satan would like to shred you like wheat. Jordan, Satan would like to sift you, like to rip you apart. We live in a dangerous world. The only thing that kept Simon Peter from being ripped apart was prayer. Jesus prayed for him. The only thing that kept Daniel from being torn limb from limb by lions was the power of his prayer. The only thing strong enough to keep you from being ripped apart by the dangers and stressors of life is prayer. So how much priority are you going to give prayer in your life? 
Let's close with this. Another true story. Brenda Folds tells about how she went on a, a, a rock climbing trip with a group of her friends. When they reached their destination, they found themselves standing in front of a 200-foot sheer face of rock, a sheer 200-foot cliff. She put on her gear, grabbed hold of the safety rope, and started up the face of the rock. A hundred feet up in the air, she came to a place, a small ledge, where she could stop and rest. As she was standing there on that narrow ledge, still holding the safety rope, the rope jiggled a little bit, brushed against her eye, and knocked her contact lens out. She's halfway up the mountain, 100 feet in the air, 100 feet left to go, and now she's got blurry vision. She looks to see if maybe it had fallen onto her gear or onto the ledge itself. She couldn't find her contact lens anywhere. Climbing up a, 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 a cliff with blurry vision is not recommended, but she had no choice. So she said a quick prayer and completed her climb. When she got to the top, she had a friend inspect her clothing to see if, or her face, her hair, to see if maybe her contact lens was caught there somewhere. No luck. While she's waiting on the rest of the climbers in their group to finish the climb, frustrated, she sits down on a rock, and as she's sitting there, with her good eye, she notices they're surrounded by a mountain range after mountain range as far as the eye can see. And it reminded her of the Bible verse in 1 Chronicles that says, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout all of the earth. She began to pray, God, you see everything. You see every mountain, you see every valley. You see every twig and every leaf. You know where my contact lens is. Please help me to find my contact lens. When the rest of the group finished the climb, together they hiked a, a trail down to the base of the cliff. And there at the base of the cliff, there was another group just getting ready to disembark. When somebody in that other group called out to Brenda's group and said, hey, did one of you lose a contact lens? Yes, she said, I, I did. Come here, the guy says. She walks over to where that other group is, and he points. And she looks, and there's a rock, a big rock, and an ant is walking across the rock with a contact lens on its back. <laughs> True story. Cont she picks up the lens, rinses it off, pops it in her eye, and she can see perfectly. It was her contact lens that she'd lost 100 feet up. When she told her dad the story, her dad's a cartoonist, he drew an image like this, and the caption he put on the cartoon had the ant saying, Lord, I don't know why you're making me carry this. It's heavy, I can't eat it, but I trust you've got a plan and a purpose. Maybe God's plan and purpose was that Brenda could retrieve her contact lens. Now, losing a contact lens is not the end of the world. But Brenda's experience reminds us that we serve a God who cares about us personally and in detail, and we serve a God of power, and prayer is the portal that releases that power in our life. Stand up to the tyrant of time. Make room for prayer and see if that doesn't begin to make everything in your life life better. Like Daniel, let's live 
our faith. Amen.